0: Good morning, my name is Matt Sprinkle. I get to serve as your student pastor here at Alice Drive Baptist Church. Um, We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. Before we start, can we just thank the choir and the worship team one more time for an awesome morning? It's it's amazing, some of those students that are in the choir, um, because of I haven't been able to see them for like two, three years, so I got to see them for the first time this morning. And to see them up there using what God has gifted them with has been absolutely a blessing. I hope that has blessed you this morning as well as they led us in worship. And to be honest with you, I mean, the Word of the Lord has been read. The worship team has preached. Uh, Peace be with you. We'll see you next week. (laughs) I'm just messing. we got more to talk about. Um, That may have happened, but... What will you do with the Jesus we just worshiped? That's the question that we've got to figure out today. But before we figure that out, before we jump into God's Word, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for today. Thank you so much uh, for just being able to be here this morning, to be able to just rock with it a little bit this morning and worship. Um, But God, I just thank you so much. The real reason that we're worshiping is what we're about to read about. Um, God, we just thank you so much for Christ and the joy we have in him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we are in this series called Final Hours, and we are examining the final hours of Christ's life before he ultimately gives his life for us. And last week, we talked about the real Jesus and how Jesus changes us. And this week, we're going to find ourselves in an interesting part of the passion narrative. We're going to find this this person in this narrative that despite them knowing the right thing to do, they do the opposite. I know none of you can relate to that. I know personally I can. Um, In fact, uh, a week or so ago, um, I found myself relating in a dentist chair. Um, Jawbreakers, right? I love jawbreakers. How many of you love jawbreakers? People love jawbreakers? Yeah, so I love jawbreakers. Let's just say that they are appropriately named. Um, But, okay, feel me, right? There's nothing more manly than the ability to bite a jawbreaker in half with your teeth. Right, fellas? Preach? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know where that got me? Snapping a tooth in half and not knowing it until the pain endured. Um, And so I ended up in a dentist chair with a lot of pain and now one less tooth. I know you probably shouldn't chew on jawbreakers, but I did it anyways. Listen, I wish I could say that this is the only instance where I've done something like this, but I'm sure you could ask my wife, my kids, ask a coworker, and they'll tell you this isn't the only instance where I've done something like this. But we all have those moments in our lives, right, where we can look back at our rebellion, and we can be like, oh, yeah, that was dumb. Oh, that was pretty funny. But we also have those moments that we look back on in our lives, and we're like, ooh. I wish I would have done that differently. I wish that I wouldn't have said that because that got me in trouble with my wife. Like we all struggle with this. We know what we should do, but we do the opposite. Maybe for you, it's binge watching, right? You got to get last season of Stranger Things in so you know what's about to happen in this next season. But you also need sleep. And then the next morning, you operate on five cups of coffee. For, for you, maybe it's, you need that new car, you know, the one with the sunroof, and then it's also got the button that you can press and your whole house comes to life. But where does that get you? Debt. Or maybe in a more serious sense, maybe it's lust, and then you would give in to lust for that momentary satisfaction, but where does it lead you still walking away empty? See, the struggle in you and me speaks to the greatest issue in us, and it's really this. You ready? Our sinful desires will naturally always reject what is true. Our sinful desires will always naturally reject what is true. When it's binge watching, we're rejecting the fact that we need sleep. When it's getting that fancy new thing, we're rejecting the ability to be content with what it is that we have that's Doing the job good now. When it comes to lust, we more seriously reject a person's humanity and value. See, this problem is ever present in today's text. And in the final hours of Christ's life, Pilate is faced with a choice. So let's see how Pilate chooses. We're going to be in Matthew 27. We're going to look at verses 11 through 14, starting off. It says this. So that the governor was greatly amazed. So, you see a few things happening here in this text. One of the things that we see up front is Pilate asks him a very serious question, and it's an accusation brought to Pilate that that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And if this is serious for Pilate, what this could mean is, is we have an enemy of Rome. Because in Rome, there was no other king than Caesar. But see, Pilate and Jesus have. Two very different definitions of this kingship. In fact, we see Jesus before. Jesus says this, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. So two different ideas. And how does Jesus answer this question from Pilate? He says this, You have said so. It's kind of like, ah, uh, You're almost there. <laughs> half yes, half no. But see, he already said this once already. If you remember in our series or in the previous chapter, Jesus says this You have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. You can imagine the really religious people who have been following Jesus throughout all of his trial and all of the wealthy people that are there as well that are wanting to be against Jesus. He says, You have said so. You can imagine, it's like they're hearing this for the second time now. Do you think this is going to be like, oh, okay, I get it now. No, these guys get even more angry, so they start throwing even more accusations at Jesus. And how does Jesus respond to these accusations? What does the Bible tell us? He gave no answer. I love what one theologian says, right? One theologian's name is John Calvin. He says this. Christ kept silence in order to be our spokesman now. Christ kept silence in order to be our spokesman now. See, in all reality, in this moment, Jesus knew his position with God and his purpose from God. At the end of time, the end of this life, all of the loudest Voices will kneel in silence before the truth. Christ is looking forward to the price that's about to pay, be paid. And you don't know what that price is? Christ's joy in this moment. Christ's joy in this moment are the people he's about to die for. Does your relationship with God lead you to? peace. Knowing that in this moment, Christ's joy was you. In the face of the unknown, in the face of anxiety, does your joy prevail above it all? Because in this moment of silence, Pilate stands greatly amazed. He's looking at this man who has claimed to be a great teacher and a great leader, and all of these guys are throwing accusations, but he doesn't even try to fight one of them. Because in this moment, this great teacher, if you read Matthew 5, he is living out every single bit that he taught. In these final hours, Jesus is living out the Sermon on the Mount. So the truth is here before Pilate, right? He looks on and he sees an innocent man, but what does Pilate do with this truth? Well, let's keep reading. Let's see what Pilate does with this truth. Verse 15 through 18, it says this, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner um, whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. So literally here, here, Pilate gives the crowd two options. You ready? You can pick Jesus or Jesus. You can pick Jesus. Are you confused? Good. If you read Scripture, we find out that Barabbas' first name was Jesus. To make it more confusing for you, as you break down Barabbas' name in the original language, Bar means son, Abbas, Abba, of the Father. So you have Jesus, son of the Father, and you also have Jesus, son of the Father. Confused. But when you look at the lives of these two individuals, they were completely opposite. Um, one theologian, he put it this way. He said, you, they literally have the option between a suffering savior or a macho Messiah. I don't know why, but I think of macho man, Randy Savage, when I <laughs> read that. Oh yeah, I'm oh, sorry, it's sidetrack. This is where my mind goes, student pastor, Um, (laughs) suffering savior or a macho messiah. You can choose between the radical who murdered and stole out of rebellion to Rome, right? Or you can choose this meek and mild, humble man over here. Ultimately, following and choosing Barabbas would lead to the destruction of the temple, and judgment for the Jewish people. But we see that following Christ leads to freedom from things of this world. I love Dale Bruner. He says this. He said, The permanent contribution of the Barabbas story is its teaching that church's main trial, that the church's main trial in every age will be her choice of the Jesus she wants. Which are you most focused on? Are you focused on the one that brings temporary satisfaction? Or are you focused on the one that brings life and eternity? So here again, Pilate has the truth right before him. Jesus, the true son of the Father, who is completely innocent. And what does Pilate do with this truth? Look at verse 19. "'Besides while he was sitting on the judgment seat, "'his wife sent word to him, "'Have nothing to do with the righteous man, "'for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream.'" So he has this interruption before he's about to give the crowd an option between Jesus and Brad. Before they choose, his wife sends word and says, "'Hey, have nothing to do with this righteous man.'" God sends Pilate's wife, With truth, it makes me pause and it makes me think, does God ever put someone in our life to give us a warning? Whether it's your wife, maybe it's a wise friend that he's placed in your life. Because the truth is, like, parenting is a partnership. And me and my wife, we don't get it right all the time, but parenting is a partnership, especially when it comes to your kids, like, making good decisions for them. Hey, don't put the kid on top of the roof. That's probably not wise. But it looks so fun. Don't do it. Not that I've ever done that. Uh, And go beyond that, right? Look towards a wise friend, that wise friend that I can think of in my life who called me out one time and said, hey, in that moment that you did that thing, you kind of took a piece of your wife. See, and in those moments of warning, right, in those moments that God places that person in your life to kind of give you wisdom, you have a choice. You can either listen or you can do it your way. But I can guarantee you this, you will reap the benefits, and you can also reap the consequences. Here at Alice Drive, we have something for you called Life Groups for you to be able to even plug in so that you can know a community like this Get with people who can step into your life and speak truth and love. But here in this scenario, right, in this scenario, God sends Pilate's wife to tell him what is true, and it is this. Christ is the only one righteous in all of this. In fact, she wrestles with that truth all day long. So when is the last time that you wrestled with the righteousness of Christ? Pilate, Is faced with this truth again, the righteousness of Christ. But what does Pilate do with this truth? Well, let's keep reading. Verses 20 through 23 says this. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. See, at this point in the story, we have to ask, like, where in the world did this huge crowd come from? Right? We don't know, but I think it's okay to look at it and be like, okay, these religious leaders and these wealthy people, they went out and st- really stacked the polls against Jesus here. Here is this huge crowd that's been persuaded to destroy Jesus. And let me tell you this, there's always a group of people that have an agenda on what it is that you should do with Jesus. But it leads us to this question, what will you do with Jesus who is called Christ? What will you do with Jesus when he is king and you don't think he should be? What will you do in Jesus when or with Jesus when he is king and but you want to lead your own life? What will you do with Jesus when he complicates your life? He shows you your sin and where it is that you need to change? What will you do with this Jesus when he forces you to make a choice? Will you trust him or will you? rebel. See, the broken culture and the broken crowds that are around us, they attempt to persuade us to a different truth all the time. For instance, we live in a world where it's like, if you want to go get it, YOLO, right? You live, only live once. That's okay. Enjoy the time you got. But the truth that we're missing out on, listen, are, are you content looking towards your greater riches? Like, are you content with looking and setting your eyes solely on the kingdom of heaven? In the culture and the world that we live in, it says, hey, always aim for more, aim for more, aim for more. What happens if you have an opportunity come up and then all of a sudden it's a shift in your job and it's a lower salary? Man, that really complicates things, doesn't it? What will you do with Jesus when he complicates your life? But let me ask you this, in that job shift, is it where God is leading you? This is the same God that says, hey, I take care of the birds of the air, the animals that are around you. How much more do you think I'm going to take care of you? Culture around us, the crowd around us says, look, you don't get along with your spouse? Okay, divorce. You need to look out for you. But all of us in marriage, like all of us who are married, we know that marriage is a fight. (laughs) one after the other. (laughs) It's a fight. It really is. But ultimately, our marriages should reflect God's love for us. So if Christ is true to you, where is he present in your life? Here again, Pilate is faced with this truth that's sitting right before him. What does Pilate do with this truth? Let's continue to read verses 24 and 25. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather than a riot was beginning, he took took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Pilate washes his hands like, All right, it's your fault. Is it really, though, Pilate? How many How many times could you have stepped in? We need to pause here on these verses and realize, too, this. These verses have been ripped out of context, out of Scripture, numerous times throughout history in order to cause harm to the Jewish people. It's important to note that these verses are not justification for hostility towards Jewish people. Instead, what we need to focus on in this passage is this. Every single person in this, passage of, in this passion narrative, every single person in this story is absolutely guilty for what's happening to Jesus. The only truly righteous person. Matthew makes an interesting shift. He calls them crowds numerous times, using it in a plural sense, but now he uses this word laos, and it means a singular crowd. And what he's doing is he's intentional in showing us that what is about to happen to Jesus is for everyone present so that whoever could, would choose truth may be redeemed. See, Pilate even tries to free himself from this guilt, but is he free from the guilt? Absolutely not. See, Pilate gives in to the crowd over Christ's innocence and his wife's warning. Why? Because Christ threatened Pilate's position, authority, power, and his livelihood. See, Pilate wants to lead. If Pilate hands over or frees Jesus in this moment, he risks losing it all. So that definitely complicates his life. Pilate has a choice. See, it's just like last week, Clay mentioned that the question isn't if Jesus threatens you, it's how he threatens you. And Clay also encouraged us that when you feel threatened by Jesus, follow him anyways. So here, Pilate is faced with a choice. What does Pilate do with this truth? Let's read our last verse for the day, verse 26. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus having him beaten and whipped, delivered him to be crucified. Five times, five, five times, Pilate has the opportunity to do what is right, and he doesn't. Five times. But remember, our sinful desires will naturally always reject what is true. See, Pilate chose to chose to go down in history as the man who condemned Jesus. In fact, when you hear Pilate, that's the... That's where your brain automatically goes. Oh, yeah, that's the guy that, Pilate, he handed Jesus over to the, to the Jews to be crucified. I love what Dale Brenner says. He says, this handing over of Jesus was despicable and weak of Pilate. This was wonderful and strong of God. He continues on. He says, he who did nothing wrong was condemned for everything so that we who have done everything wrong would be condemned for nothing. So what do you do with this truth? What do you do with this Jesus who is called Christ at the end of this life, right? At the end of this life, at the end of your life, you will be in one of two places. You will have either accepted Christ for who he is, or you will have rejected him. Remember, our sinful desires will always reject, naturally reject what is true. And the only way to overcome that is to find truth. So today, if you accept Jesus, this is what it means for you. You ready? If you accept Jesus, if you say, all right, Matt, I have accepted Jesus, then this is what your life looks like. You ready? You shape the culture. The culture doesn't shape you. You shape the world that's around you. The world doesn't shape who you are. So that when the culture and the crowds, when they look at you, they see a hope that they don't have, but they desperately want. As they look on to your marriage and see how you interact with your spouse. As they look on to your parenting and see how your parenting should be filled with grace with your kids. As you carry yourself at your workplace, even with that annoying coworker that everyone's ready to abandon. Even in your free time, people are watching. Ultimately, they're watching for how you care for others. Why? Because ultimately, they see your love for God and His love flowing through you. So today, if you have yet to see Christ and what he has done for you, listen, we want nothing more than for you to take that first step, and that's to know Jesus. And listen, you're at a crossroads where you have a choice to make. The truth is before you. We want nothing more for you than to know Jesus, and we want you to see the tragedy and the beauty of his cross. Maybe God has been working in you all this time and finally is starting to click. If that's you, come and see us. We would love to have that conversation with you. But this is the reality, right? When when we really let the truth of who Christ is permeate into our lives, we take major steps, next steps towards God. And he begins to use our lives in a very major way. When I think of that, I think of um, this, this man. His name is Soner Tufan. I'm pretty sure I have a picture up here. This is Soner. There he is. This is Soner. And Soner became a Christian in 1985 through the witness of his Taekwondo instructor. At that time, there were perhaps 50 evangelical Christians in Turkey. Today, there are 7,000 And one of the key ways God is reaching Turks is through radio and TV broadcasting. Soner leads the station Radio Shema and is broadcasting the gospel all over Turkey. His message is being received by Turks curious about Jesus and by those who oppose the gospel. Soner received a 14-page threat letter from ISIS. He's lived under 24-hour police protection, and he says more threats come every week. But he's seen the Turkish church grow from a handful of believers to thousands and he refuses to turn away from the work God has called him to. He even watched someone come to Christ who came in with a knife one morning at his church service with intentions to harm someone that was at the church, only for that person to come to know Jesus that day. Soner was faced with truth, grace, joy, and freedom. He's even found saying in an interview, Soner says this, I feel free like a butterfly. God took it from me. He says, The apostle Peter said, How can we be quiet? And I find it impossible. People watch and see the difference in you if you believe. Because God isn't only saving lives from punishment. And I would also add that he is giving them life as well. Let's end today with this question. What will you do with Jesus? Will you be like our brother in Turkey, Sonar? Or will you be like Pilate? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today that we can come to a place where we can learn about your word. God, that we can come to a place that is safe, a place where we can worship you and lift your name high. God, I pray that you will help us to really, really answer the question that has been placed before us today. What will I do with Jesus? God, for some in here, you've been really working on them for a while now. And today's the day where they just need to lock it down and say, hey, look, I, I see God's work in my life. He's placed desire in me to know more and know him more. God, give them the courage to to stand up and have that conversation with someone who does believe. God, for those that are in here and they're standing at the crossroads, the truth is before them. God, I pray that you will wreck their spirit. Help them to see that one path that leads to destruction. But God, as we follow you, you know what's best for our lives. God, that you would send your son to take on a punishment that we deserve for ourselves. God, I pray that you will help us to apply this in our lives daily. God, that every day we may wake up and we may shout praises because of Easter. Not just once a year, God, but every day. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your kindness. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.